That's really good. Uh, oh my gosh, dude. Greetings and welcome to episode number 20 of Unrelated Things. If you want to find out more about Unrelated Things online, just go to unrelatedthings.net. You can also email me at unrelatedthings at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at unrelatedthings. This week, we're going to start off with a quote. Internationally, the wealthiest 85 people own more wealth than the bottom half of the world's population. Soon, the top 1% of the world will own more wealth than the bottom 99%. In the U.S., the top one-tenth of 1% own almost as much wealth as the bottom 90%. We need an economy which works for all, not just the billionaire class. Boy, howdy. And that quote was from Senator Bernie Sanders. Top pick. And my top pick for episode 20 of unrelated things is Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders announced that he will be running for president. He will be running for the Democratic nomination for president of the United States. And he, Bernie has been through most of his life an independent. He is currently a senator from Vermont who is an independent, but understood that if he wanted to have a platform, if he wanted to participate in debates, if he wanted to potentially get on the ballot for the presidency, that it just made the most sense for him to run as a Democrat. Running as an independent, there would be little to no opportunity to debate. The mainstream media would marginalize him as they have with other independent candidates in the past and he would just have little opportunity to get the exposure he needs and get his ideas out in front of the public and be able to legitimately you know contest for the nomination and for the presidency uh a lot of the country doesn't know bernie sanders they did not live in vermont as i did live in vermont for about six years um even before that i i was in New England uh, my whole life, and so I've been well aware of Bernie Sanders. Aside from just being in proximity with Bernie, I am very much aligned with just about all of his political viewpoints. I think that he is right on the button with, uh, with all of his key, you know, focus areas in, in his political life and in his, the things that he chooses to champion as a senator. Before that, he was in the House of Representatives. Before that, he was the mayor of Burlington, Vermont. So he has been in politics for quite some time, has more actual elected experience than others in the race. And I think he'll do extremely well. The ideas that he champions are ideas that have become more and more part of the forefront. Um, not that they are necessarily the the main things that you will see and hear on the news, but there definitely has been a lot of additional exposure to the exact ideas that Bernie Sanders supports um, over the past five to ten years. So it is a good time for him to run to move his agenda forward, to support those that have been fighting for the same ideas and ideals as Bernie stands for. 
So one of the things that Bernie stands for is um, getting money out of politics. Bernie has pledged not to accept any money from super PACs, which are these large, uh, very lightly regulated institutions that are just money, money uh, raising machines that get out there and support various candidates and candidates are allowed to use these super PACs and raise money um, with rules that are much more lax than some of the campaign finance rules that we have seen in the past. And a lot of this, or maybe even most of this, is thanks to the Supreme Court ruling on the Citizens United case. Bernie is very much against that ruling. He's been fighting it since it came about. And here is one of the things that he is working on to fight that. This is actually by Senator Bernie Sanders from the Huffington Post. I recently introduced an amendment at the Senate Budget Committee. It was pretty simple. It asked my Senate colleagues to begin the process of overturning the disastrous Supreme Court ruling on Citizens United and to bring transparency and disclosure to the political process. The link to that debate on the amendment is here. So if you follow this, go to Huffington Post and look up. If we don't overturn Citizens United, Congress will become paid employees of the billionaire class. And you'll find the link to that. Here is what I asked my Senate colleagues to consider. Are we comfortable with an American political system which is being dominated by a handful of billionaires? Are we a nation that prides ourselves on one person, one vote? Or do we tell ordinary Americans, you've got one vote, but the Koch brothers can spend hundreds of millions of dollars? Do we want a political system in which a handful of billionaires can buy members of the United States Congress? Who are those members of Congress elected with the help of billionaires going to be representing? Do you think they're going to be representing the middle class and working families? The answer seems clear to me. Unless the campaign finance system is reformed, the U.S. Congress will become paid employees of the people who pay for their campaigns, the billionaire class. So... Sanders introduced this amendment, and he writes that it was an interesting and informative debate. Not one Republican supported the amendment, and it lost by a 12 to 10 vote in the committee. And Sanders plans to offer that again on the floor of the Senate. All right, cool. So there was a great piece uh, on medium.com by Kimberly Harrington called How to Talk to Your Kids About Bernie Sanders. And she writes, Sometimes it can be scary and confusing for kids when they're faced with an unknown, like a politician who actually represents the regular people who voted for him. As you tuck them into bed, don't be surprised if you hear questions like, but what about the billionaires? Who's going to speak for them? Or, why is he so angry all the time? Or, Mom, why did you hit him? We'll get to that last one in a minute. I find that the best way to address kids' valid concerns about politicians is to ease them into it. Last time we tried to explain a government shutdown to my 10-year-old, he said, Wow, sounds like they don't know how to do their jobs. They should all be fired. There's no telling what sort of bloodlust this whole Bernie situation could unleash in our household, and I'm betting your family is struggling with the same sense of unease. And she goes on, and she asks some questions and answers them in this piece. So I think it's a really good piece. I'll read another short bit of it, and I think that you should uh, take a look for it. Question, what does it mean when a politician, quote, doesn't lie. Well, this means that he or she is telling the truth. This is the type of behavior that one might expect from, say, your teacher or librarian. 
I understand it can be confusing. Trust me, it's definitely confusing to most adults. What we're used to is sort of a non-truth jargon bite, and we nod and think, thank you, politician, for the nonsense that just came out of your face hole. And we get right back to eating our burritos because that's life, man. And the story goes on with a similar tone. So I'm a huge fan of Bernie Sanders. I intend to vote for Bernie Sanders. I will be talking more about Bernie Sanders on future episodes. And I just said episodes. And what I intended to say was episodes. I have made it there. So I've been watching on the news now and then the rebellion that is going on and has been going on down in Baltimore after the death of, I believe his name was Freddie Gray. Um, yeah, Freddie Gray in the back of a police van. And from the bits and pieces that I know and understand and I admit that that's not a thorough and deep understanding of all the elements of the case. Um, my sense is the likeliest cause of his injuries was intentional bad driving to bounce him around the back of that van. So I was very interested when I saw this piece by Natasha Bertrand in Business Insider called this dangerous practice allows police to injure suspects without ever laying a hand on them the practice of giving suspe suspects rough rides in the back of police vans has become a tradition among officers who wish to retaliate against mouthy offenders without ever being accused of physically assaulting them the new york times reports an investigation is underway to determine exactly how 25-year-old Freddie Gray sustained his fatal injuries while in the back of a Baltimore PD police van last month. Gray was arrested in April on suspicion of possessing a switchblade and died a week later after suffering a severe spinal cord injury sustained during a 45-minute ride in a police van. All six officers involved in his arrest have since been indicted on criminal charges, and the prosecutor responsible for bringing them says Gray's knife was, in fact, legal. In Baltimore and other cities, police have used rough rides as payback in the past, according to the L.A. Times. Police departments across the country have reportedly paid thousands in legal settlements related to injuries sustained during these nickel rides, as they are called in Philadelphia, referring to the old-time amusement park rides that cost five cents. I'm not kidding you. The one-hour photo business is about to go extinct in the United States. This story also from Business Insider by Ryan Gorman. Now, I'm old enough to know and be well acquainted with film cameras. In fact, I studied photography in college, and we used film cameras then. I was a few years ahead of the big push away from film and into digital. There used to be 7,600 one-hour photo shops in the United States. And there are only 190 of them left. This really shows the change an industry can go through in a fairly short amount of time. That change has happened just over the last 15 years. We went from over 7,600 one-hour photo shops to only 190 left. These days, most people have moved from film into digital photography. Digital photography is... The, the quality is, it can be very exceptional these days. I remember my very first digital camera, which barely took a, a visible picture in comparison to the clarity and quality 
that my smartphone can act, can even do today. Um, so, you know, back in the days when Photomat was a common site in parking lots of many supermarkets, at least here in the Northeast, and Kodak was one of the biggest and uh, healthiest or strongest companies in the United States, you know, it's, it's just been a short trip from there to here. But let's kind of get all that fun, quirky stuff out of there. So a story by In the Guardian by Dan Roberts and Spencer Ackerman. Ackerman. NSA mass phone surveillance revealed by Edward Snowden ruled illegal. The U.S. Court of Appeals has ruled that the bulk collection of telephone metadata, metadata is unlawful in a landmark decision that clears the way for a full legal challenge against the NSA. A panel of three federal judges for the Second, Second Circuit overturned an earlier ruling that the controversial surveillance practice first revealed to the U.S. public by NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden in 2013 could not be subject to judicial review. But the judges also waded into the charged and ongoing debate over the reauthorization of a key Patriot Act provision currently before U.S. legislatures. That provision, which the appeals court ruled the NSA program surpassed, will expire on June 1st, amid gridlock in Washington on what to do about it. The judges opted not to end the domestic bulk collection while Congress decides its fate, calling judicial inaction a lesser intrusion on privacy than at the time the case was initially argued. Quote, in light of the asserted national security interests at stake, we deem it prudent to pause to allow an opportunity for debate in Congress that may or may not profoundly alter the legal landscape, the judges ruled. I think you just nailed it. BuzzFeed.com reports attack on Clinton's speaking fees. Sorry, missed the first line. Rand Paul claims middle-class status in attack on Clinton's speaking fees, but has millionaire net worth. This story is by Andrew Kaczynski. Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky included himself as a member of the middle class during a radio appearance on Friday, a claim that doesn't mesh with his available financial data. Paul made the comments while discussing the Clintons' income. Quote, well, you know, I haven't been too worried about the Clintons not having enough money anytime lately, Paul told Boston Herald Radio on Friday. I quote, I think their comment that they were nearly broke doesn't ring very well with the rest of us in the middle class, added Paul. I think they're now worth a couple hundred million. He makes sometimes $500,000 an hour. So the woe is me kind of language from the Clintons won't go over very well. Paul, however, according to data, data from the Center for Responsive Politics, has an estimated net worth of over $1.3 million in 2013. His net worth when he first began his campaign for Senate in 2009 was just over $800,000. So, despite being having the net wealth of over $1.3 million, Rand Paul, as many of those who are running for president and want to engage voters, um, is claiming to be part of the middle class so he can try to get support from the middle class when he clearly falls outside of that group. Hello, Captain Redundant. Story from Little Rock, Arkansas, from Reuters.com by Steve Barnes. 
After devouring a television remote, a lawnmower gas filter, and bras, Benno, a four-year-old Belgian Malinois Malinois dog, outdid himself by consuming nearly two dozen bullets. Quote, he acted like nothing was wrong until he threw up, Benno's owner, Larry Brassfield of Mountain Home, Arkansas, said on Friday. Adding, that is when he discovered a nearly three-inch-long bullet in the puddle. Brassfield noticed several 308 caliber rounds missing and rushed Benno to a veterinarian, where x-rays revealed a small arsenal in the animal's stomach. Quote, my first concern was not an explosion, but poisoning, said veterinarian Dr. Sarah Shelton. Shelton removed 16 cartridges from Benno's stomach and left two in his esophagus rather than prolong the two-hour surgery, correctly calculating that the animal would soon expel them. In all, the dog had eaten 23 rounds. But it's this kind of stuff that drives me freaking crazy. So I recently saw online some pictures of the statues on Easter Island. And these are <clears throat> statues that I remember seeing as a kid. You know, it's part of this the big mystery of Easter Island is who carved these statues? How did they carve these statues? How did they move them around? There's been a lot of historians and archaeologists very interested in everything that's that's gone on on Easter Island in the past and, and what we can discover by examining what is left. One thing I had never seen before now, though I think this has been out and about on the internet for quite some time, is that the vast majority of these statues are from about the chest up um, set on the ground, or at least I thought they were set on the ground, until you see the excavated pictures of these statues that are from anywhere from the chest up to shoulders up typically that's exposed. And they've dug down 20 to 30 feet in some cases, showing that these statues are the, what you see above the ground is basically the tip of the iceberg. Much like an iceberg floating in the ocean, a small part of it bobs up above the ocean surface while the vast majority of that iceberg lays below the surface of the water. These statues are a lot more intricate um, when they've been unburied. There's a lot of patterns carved um, typically into the backs of these statues. They have arms and hands. Um, they're really, really amazing to see much more of what these statues are comprised of than I saw when I was younger. So really, if you have any interest in those statues of, from Easter Island, um, definitely go online and search for the pictures that um, show the ex excavated, excavated uh Statues and the particular pictures that I saw were on news.artnet.com, and the article was by Gustavo Aceves Instalid. Boy, howdy. So there is a comic called Preacher, and it is being brought to television. Uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg and uh, the producer of Breaking Bad, Sam Catlin, are behind bringing this to television. It will be on AMC. And a little while back, they announced one of the actors... Uh, Deadline reported that actor Joseph Gilgan has been cast as Cassidy, a hard-drinking Irish vampire who befriends Custer 
and his ex-girlfriend Tulip. Um, I'm a, a fan of Joseph Gilgan. He's been in some he's been in some really good roles and and has done a fantastic job in them. I first saw Joseph Gilgan in Misfits. If you've never seen Misfits, it's a British sci-fi show, um, but set on Earth where a, a bunch of misfits get some extraordinary powers and what they do with those powers. Joseph Gilgan wasn't a cast member from the start of Misfits. There was a very good cast member, very good character in season one of Misfits. Um, I don't remember if he went into season two. I think he probably went through season two as well, but then left the program, and I won't get into any more detail than that, but one of the key actors and characters that came in after that character left the program was Rudy, played by Joseph Gilgan, and Rudy is a fantastic character, so I highly recommend go and find Misfits. I believe you can find that on Hulu. I think they have an exclusive to it still. And watch Misfits if you like that type of a show. And in particular, in seasons three forward, you can see Joseph Gilgan playing Rudy. Um, he also played a, a really, really good character in the movie Lockout. And also was recently in the movie Pride, where he played a good character there as well. So I do admire and appreciate his, some of Joseph Gilgan's work. So I think he will be a good addition to Preacher. I don't know if I will be watching Preacher. Um, it's not a comic that I'm familiar with at all. But I do hear good things about it from people who are familiar with it. Here's a little bit about it in case it interests you. Preacher follows Reverend Jesse Custer, a tough Texas preacher who has lost his faith and has learned that God has left heaven and abandoned his responsibilities. He finds himself the only person capable of tracking God down, demanding answers, and making him answer for his dereliction of duty. Accompanying Jesse on his journey is his former girlfriend and a friendly vampire who seems to prefer a pint in the pub to the blood of the innocent. On his tail is one of the most iconic bad guys in print, an immortal, unstoppable killing machine named the Saint of Killers, a western lone gunman archetype whose sole purpose is to hunt and kill Jesse. Story from the Huffington Post by Simon McCormack. Fire extinguishers protect us, but who protects the fire extinguishers? It's a question firefighters will have to ask themselves after a huge blaze erupted at a fire extinguisher factory on Chicago's southwest side. About 150 firefighters battled the inferno, which burned for hours. I'm not kidding you. For well over a year, rumors have been floating around that Apple would come out with a new Apple TV set-top box that would include Siri and an app store. Now, according to BuzzFeed, it's finally going to happen. Citing, quote, sources familiar with the company's plan, BuzzFeed says the new Apple TV will be introduced in June at Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference and that it represents a major overhaul of the device. That overhaul not only includes a new interface, but also the capability of controlling smart home devices. And I have an Apple TV. I actually have an Apple TV too. I'm using it as part of this podcast recording to project my iPad onto my TV. I've been waiting for the next version of the Apple TV, and I know and understand there was an Apple TV 3 that I did not purchase because it did not take a big enough step forward for me 
to really make that decision, you know, and decide decide that it would be the right item for me to to purchase. So I have been looking forward to the next version of the Apple TV for well over a year. I would say at least a year and a half. I've been expecting something new to come of the Apple TV. So it is exciting to see and hear the rumors really ramp up that this updated device is likely to come. Um, it's exciting to see that they finally are likely to include an app store and apps. I think that the utility of the Apple TV will just explode when developers are allowed to develop apps for it. Um, it could be a gaming machine. It can be a machine that helps control other items in your home. It can just do so much more. It can show so much more programming than it is restricted to at this point. So I'm very much looking forward to an updated Apple TV. And that's just yeah. the way it is. Well, the way it is down in Costa Rica, and this story is from back in March, so I can't say that everything is going exactly as it was then, but Costa Rica at that time was powering its country with 100% eco-friendly sources and had been for 75 straight days. The Central American country has achieved a major milestone in mainstream clean energy usage. The country has been able to meet its entire power demand with renewable energy. Quote, the year 2015 has been one of electricity totally friendly to the environment for Costa Rica. The country's zero emission milestone was enabled thanks to heavy rainfalls at four hydroelectric electric power facilities in the first quarter of 2015. These downpours have meant that for the months of January, February, and so far March, there has been no need to burn fossil fuels to generate electricity. One of the biggest yeah. deals ever in the history of ever. And a big deal that happened over in Italy, reported by thelocal.it, police were called to an apartment block in Porto Ricanti on Italy's eastern coast after locals raised the alarm that an ISIS sympathizer may be within their midst. The officers searched the building and questioned residents, but were unable to recover the mystery black cloth spotted hanging from a tree next to the apartment block. On further investigation, police discovered that the supposed propaganda tool was nothing more than a jacket swept into the trees after being hung out to dry. Such worries have also been felt elsewhere in Europe, with police in Sweden recently called to a residential building to investigate ISIS propaganda. A passerby contacted the authorities after spotting the initials of the Islamic State, another term for ISIS, in an apartment window. What the vigilant person read was IS, but in actuality, it was just a set of birthday balloons for a woman's 21st birthday. blah dee dee blah dee blah The Inquisitor.com, which is spelled I-N-Q-U-I-S-I-T-R, reported on this story. This year has been a historic year for our planet. While the world economy has continued to grow, the CO2 emissions haven't climbed. We haven't been able to pull off this feat for the last 40-odd years. A recently compiled report has indicated that while the global economy continued its unabated march owing to relatively peaceful times, our collective carbon emissions, or as it is commonly referred to as a carbon footprint, hasn't become larger. The group behind the report, the International Energy Agency, 
feels it is due to the considerable growth in deployment of renewable energy facilities by some of the biggest countries and their governments. So a small step forward for the environment. If you want a sign that humanity's still got it going on. Well, maybe it was that, but it's not this. The Chicago Tribune reports, Utah lawmakers vote to become the only state to allow the firing squad. Lawmakers have passed a bill that would make Utah the only state to allow firing squads for carrying out a death penalty if there is a shortage of execution drugs. The passage of the bill by the state Senate comes as states struggle to obtain lethal injection drugs amid a nationwide shortage. And there have been problems with lethal injection drugs or drugs that have been used for lethal injection. I think stemming in part from some companies in Europe determining that they did not want to sell drugs for that purpose to users in the United States. So states have had to scramble to come up with substitutions and come up with them in enough quantities to be able to carry out those sentences. Personally, I am 100% opposed to the death penalty. I think in our day and age, we have ways to keep people away from the public by imprisoning them for life with no chance for parole that make me feel that the death penalty in that, that case is completely wrong. Um, I, I don't think the state should be killing people. A, a, a quote that I like on the subject says, why do we kill people who kill people to prove that killing people is wrong? It just doesn't make sense to me. It's violence committed by the state, whether it is sanctioned as a punishment or, or not, it is still violence, and there's, there's no need for it, in my opinion. I don't believe that it serves as deterrent. Um, I don't think someone decides, I'm not going to kill them because I might be killed. Um, I think that most crimes are either senseless and the knowledge that the death penalty exists does not stop people from committing those crimes or our crimes, uh, I'll call them crimes of passion that are not planned or thought out ahead of time, but sudden, suddenly someone gets enraged to the point where they kind of lose control of what they're doing and commit a horrible act. And anybody who does do that should be locked up for life. Um, but, you know, putting people to death by the state is just, in my opinion, the wrong thing to do. It is inane and terrible. Something that's not so inane and terrible, but is a little bit odd is the Vermont man who won an election to the town board in Underhill, Vermont. A Vermont man who died the day before a town meeting vote was elected to serve on the select board after officials withheld information about the death, citing state campaign laws. Because of the campaign laws and out of respect for the family, voters were not told Tuesday of his death and the gentleman named Tarrant was elected to a three-year term. The town clerk said that the campaigning or discussing candidates within a polling place is prohibited by state law. So probably not the only dead man to be elected office, but definitely one of the more recent. Or to death. Bored to death. How about some Holland Oats? Holland Oats Sue Granola Maker over Holland Oats Cereal. This is a story 
from Consumerist, written by Laura Northrup. Daryl Hall and John Oates have sued a granola maker for ma marketing a cereal called Hall and Oats. That's H-A-U-L-I-N. The band apparently doesn't think that the name is a cute tribute. They believe that it's trademark infringement. Their official company, Whole Oats Enterprises, owns the trademark for the name Hall and Oats, even though that was never their official name. In their complaint filed in federal court, the band's lawyers explain that they've worked hard to build quote, substantial consumer recognition and goodwill toward the Hall and Oates brand. And a small batch granola company can't just swoop in and take advantage of that goodwill without permission. It's just bad. If you think that's just bad, how about this story by Jamie Fravel on Uproxx, that's U-P-R-O-X-X, Dot com. Sometimes, in order to teach a really important lesson, it helps to tell a really obvious story. Today, that story is about a group of men who were riding a bus in Vietnam and spotted a beehive on the side of the road. That beehive was swarming with bees. One of the men thought it would be funny to get everyone off the bus, whip out all of their penises, and pee all over the aforementioned beehive. You can probably guess where this is going, but I'll be more than happy to spell it out for you because it's going to be a lot of fun to type this, put it in boldface, and then italicize it. The bees stung the shit out of their penises. Sometimes stuff happens. Indeed, sometimes it does. In fact, almost all the time stuff happens. It's rare when stuff doesn't happen. I suppose sitting alone at home, quietly, on your couch, there can be very little stuff happening in your immediate vicinity. But there's a whole lot of stuff that's happening even if you can't see it or hear it. One thing that's happening on my end is I've started a new page on the website Unrelated Things and started a blog called Polyrical, as in political lyrics. The music I like to listen to is political music. You've heard that on some of the earlier programs. And we'll hear it going forward as well. So some of my favorite artists are Billy Bragg, Bruce Coburn, Chumbawamba. Artists that really have, and I know some of you saying Chumbawamba, they had that one hit. Chumbawamba is so, so much more than their one hit. They are far from a one-hit wonder, uh, although that may depend on your definition of One Hit Wonder. Um, but I, I listen to a wide variety of different styles of music. But one thing that attracts me to these different styles is political lyrics. And as you could probably infer from my support and alignment with Bernie Sanders and his ideals, it's uh, political music that generally leans towards the left end of the political spectrum. So check out Polyrical. You can go to Polyrical at polyrical.com. That's P-O-L-Y-R. I can't even spell it. P-O-L-Y-R-I-C-A-L, Polyrical. Um, and you can check out Polyrical on Twitter as well and see what I've dug up lately. And lately I've dug up, well, maybe dug up is the wrong way to put this, um, because Mr. Phillips has passed away quite a number of years ago. But I have posted, is that any better? I have posted songs from Phil Oaks 
from Rebel Diaz, who has a good modern take on which side are you on. And from Most Deaf, from Lauren Hill, from Billy Bragg, who did a great version of a song that I can't remember the title of with Laura Palmer um, that I just found from South by Southwest in 2013. So if you like political music or if you just like music and want to check out something new and something different, go ahead and follow Polyrical. That people watch it and then it's a thing. Indeed it is. So I lived for a number of years in New Hampshire after fleeing Massachusetts, where I grew up. I lived for several years in southern New Hampshire, in Londonderry, New Hampshire, which was right next to uh, New Hampshire's largest city of Manchester. And this next story is from there, and this is from SF Gate. Dot com. A restaurant's policy to give customers a percentage off their bill on their birthday actually became a seven-cent refund for a man who turned 101. The Belmont Hall restaurant in Manchester is the restaurant that has this policy where they will give you a percentage off your bill on your birthday based on your age. At 101 years old, the restaurant owed Mr. Nelson money. And I'm just looking for his first name, Joseph. Joseph Nelson. They owed him money. What did he order? He ordered scrambled eggs and ham topped off with a piece of chocolate cake. And when his bill came around and his discount was applied, he got seven cents back from the restaurant. Yeah. So one of the other politicians who has been doing a lot of the right things and saying a lot of the right things for me is Elizabeth Warren. She is the senator from Massachusetts and really has made a name for herself in focusing on the big banks and the unfair practices um, that allow them to earn more and more and more money and when they get into trouble get them bailed out by the government on the taxpayer's dime. Um, so here's a story from Inquisitor Com. Elizabeth Warren has made no secret about her desire to be a champion for the middle class, and recently she seized upon the new language being used by the Republican Party as they highlight their own concerns for middle class wage stagnation and income inequality. Once again, Elizabeth Warren confronted Republicans, this time during a forum, to introduce her newest project, the Middle Class Prosperity Project. Quote, Recently, Republicans seem to have discovered the struggles of America's middle class. Out of nowhere, they're suddenly talking about this problem. Well, that's great, but talk is cheap. And when it comes to action, these Republicans seem to have amnesia about what they've actually done to hardworking Americans. Republican trickle-down policies created tax breaks and loopholes for the wealthy while leaving working families to pick up the pieces. I believe Republicans care about what's happening to America's middle class. Sorry, I'll believe Republicans care about what's happening to America's middle class when they stop blocking legislation that would require billionaires to pay taxes at least at the same rate that teachers and firefighters do. Republican trickle-down economics blocked increases in the minimum wage that would have lifted 14 million people out of poverty. 
And that's the end of the quote. In April of 2014, Senate Republicans blocked Democratic legislation that would have increased the federal minimum wage from $7.25 an hour to $10.10 an hour, with only one Republican voting in favor of the measure. Congressional Republicans have also signaled that they will continue to block any tax increase on America's wealthiest, even when those tax increases will be used to fund more breaks for the middle class. So I think most elections, the politicians tend to swing towards the middle class and claim that they support the middle class and they are going to do a lot for the middle class. But then pretty much in, well, I won't quite say invariably, but for the higher offices that I think invariably might be, might be the right word to use, but rarely do they actually espouse and support and put forward those policies once they get into office. Um, One thing that I think is a little bit new this year around and why I think Bernie Sanders has some more significant opportunities than usual is the actual talk about income inequality. Income inequality has kind of been a taboo, like a third rail of uh, political topics when one is running. Um, Obama tried to raise it and was kind of pushed back. A lot of politicians are very afraid of being accused of class warfare. Um, I think that's a shame because I think if you're really paying attention and you're not really trying to perpetuate the status quo, the class war has been ongoing for quite a long time. It's, I think what's happening right now is we're starting to hit the crest of a wave of people who are recognizing the class war and who are speaking out against the class war. The, the rich have been waging class war since the 1970s. Um, if you should, you should look. Uh, I spoke about it on an earlier show. Check out work that uh, Robert Reich has done on this issue in particular. Um, and the amount of productivity increase and wage stagnation since the 70s that the middle class has faced is alarming. And the rich keep getting richer, and the middle class as Elizabeth Warren said, is left to pick up the pieces. Our children will never know what that's like. So a few weeks back, probably a month back, and the month and a half prior to that, I was glued to my iPad. Well, I guess I'm glued to my iPad very often. But over that time span, there was a particular app and actually a game that really kept me glued to my iPad. That game was call, is called Radiation Island. So Radiation Island is a big open world. It's made up of four major islands and a whole lot of tiny little islands as well. And it's a world that your character can freely roam around. So it's first person. You are walking around this island, interacting with the animals, interacting with various um, resources on the island. And there's parts of the island that have trails. There's parts of the island that are grassland. There's forests. There's mountains, lakes, rivers. It's it's a pretty impressive open world. Um, here's a little bit of what it is about from the creators of Radiation Island. And this is from atypicalgames.com. Um, the action on Radiation Island takes place on an archipelago of four different islands. Three of them are twins. I guess that kind of makes them triplets. 
in landscape but host different locations and challenges. The middle one is your transit point, but also your greatest challenge. There are more than 100 items which can be used in combat and crafting. Take your time to learn the most valuable resources and make sure you are properly equipped before exploring a new area. So there are resources all around the island. The inventory and crafting mechanism is very intuitive. It doesn't take a lot to learn what you need to do. Um, your, you need to um, get food as well and also can scavenge for or craft medical supplies, both of which become very useful in the game, especially if you're attacked, attacked by a mountain lion or a bear, which can absolutely happen. But, and back to the uh, writing from the website, it's not only you and the animals which are present on the island. Remnants of failed experiments, transformed and with no humanity left, are the greatest danger. While they will be drawn to their former bases and locations, they only seek to destroy and kill whichever is not them. So there's kind of these zombie, zombified people, and there's various different types of them, some of which move very quickly, while others kind of shift and amble along and are, are much easier targets to either attack or to flee from. Um, this was a really, really fun game to play. It took me many, many hours, but it's such a, a varied landscape and the challenges, the the animals and the, I'll call them zombies, the different types of zombies on the island offer a lot of challenge. Um, in addition to that, there's this type of electrical grid throughout the island. Uh, powered by these big monoliths um, and one of your missions on the island is to shut this power grid down by, by traveling to the different points and there's probably six or seven different points on each of the islands, uh, maybe even more that you have to actually go and interact with and shut down so it was a lot of fun, really took a lot of my spare time when I was playing it so I very highly recommend if you like that type of game where you can wander around you can do some crafts crafting of items and you can craft you know everything from a hatchet to a hang glider to a canoe I mean there's quite a lot of different items that you can craft um, and you can make bullets in very well will likely need to make bullets um, to fend off some of the more aggressive inhabitants of these islands. So that is called Radiation Island. And I, as, as I said, I highly recommend that you check it out if you like that type of a game. It's a sign of the end times. Well, it could be a sign of the end times for the inhabitants of that world, but uh, playing it is not really going to be a sign of the end times for you. Oh, that's nice. Oh, isn't it, though? And it is. So that will wrap up episode number 20 of Unrelated Things. So please check out my website and blog at unrelatedthings.net. If you want to make a contribution, just follow the little dollar sign at the top of the page there, and you can either make a contribution directly or you can just make a purchase of something you may have wanted to purchase already um, through the affiliate links that are located on that page. At Unrelated Things Now, you will find the Unrelated Things blog. You will find the source files for this podcast. And you will also find the site I spoke of earlier, Polarical, which you can find at polarical.com, or you can go to unrelatedthings.net and select the page for Polarical. 
you will find my page on Bernie Sanders, and you will find my not-yet-started page on Eureka, the best show that ever was on TV. Um, but so far, I only have one link on there, but we'll eventually, over time, be building that up. So you can also uh, get in touch with me at unrelatedthings at gmail.com, and you can follow unrelatedthings on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening. And that's just yeah. the way it is.